So Jesus, we just raise up that hallelujah. We just say yes to everything that you say is possible. We say yes to being in that place of victory where fear has no hold on us. Jesus, we lift you up high above all of the battles, all of the stuff, all the things that are clamoring for our attention. Jesus, we lift up your name above all of that. God, we thank you that we are seated with you in heavenly places. And from that place, we call down the rule and the reign of heaven. We call down the peace of God to touch and to heal trauma and anxiety and depression and despair. God, we declare freedom all around us in Jesus' name. We say no to unbelief. We say no to unbelief taking root in our heart. And we say yes to faith and belief taking root in our heart. God, would you talk to us through the scripture as we spend a few moments gathering around that right now. Speak to us, touch us. Let your word be like a two-edged sword that pierces deep into our hearts and molds us and transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, we bless you. We welcome you. And just every room, every living room, every place uh, where people are listening, participating in this, God, we just ask for your presence to be heavy, to be strong. Uh, Jesus, would you even reach out your hand and heal and bring breakthrough, um, bring deliverance, healing and wholeness as we speak. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible there, why don't you crack it open to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. I'll join you there in just a moment. Mark chapter 5. We'll pick up from verse 21 um, very, very shortly. We've talked a lot about the impact of this pandemic and the craziness of everything that is surrounding it. And we know that it's easy for a global event of this kind to just throw us off our center a bit. We've had to reorient our whole lives. We've had to reorient our work lives. We've had to reorient our kids' schooling. Um, many have had to reorient even their physical homes to make space so that they can work from home in a way that they've never had to do before. There's just been lots of adapting, changing, and being on alert for just <laughs> an ever-changing world ever-changing demands on us, changing restrictions, loosening restrictions. You can do this, you can't do this. And if you're, in that, if you're on that side of Windsor Road, you can do different to things on this side of Windsor Road. And we've just been like bombarded with stuff. And it's really easy for all of that to throw us a little bit off center and just leave us kind of going, well, where, where are we? And to get disoriented. Um, What I'm hearing God say right now is that there is a season changing. As I, as I just went out for a walk and just listened to God this week, I'm hearing him say that the season is starting to shift. I'm hearing him say it's time for faith to start to build again. The world has been knocking us around. It's like we've been on the spin cycle in the washing machine. And it's time to come out of that. That season is changing and it's time to reorient ourselves and to recenter ourselves and to start to build faith again 
to reorient towards our kingdom assignment rather than just adapting to the spin cycle that, that we are in at the moment. So, like I said, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through to 43 is where we are going to have a look. So where I, what I'm hearing God saying is the season is turning. It's time to stop thinking about survival and start thinking about advancement. It's time to stop thinking about survival, start thinking about advancement. It's time to stop thinking about just getting by and just getting through. And it's time to position ourselves to take territory again. Now, some of you might be sitting there and going, I've never lost that positioning. And if that's you, woohoo, um, I'm very glad. And you can lay hands on a whole lot of us. Um, that is a really awesome thing. I just know that for many, this has thrown us off center. And, I'm, and I've felt that there's been a grace for that for a time. We have been going through unprecedented change. But I'm hearing the Spirit say, again, it's time to start building up our faith again and reorienting towards advancement and increase in our kingdom assignment. So I want to go to Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. The reference is up on the screen for you right now. There is a kind of faith that attracts the realm of heaven to our situation. We see it right through the Gospels and we're going to look at just one example right now. But we see Jesus continually saying, your faith has made you well. According to your faith, may it be done, un uh, may it be done unto you. Um, why do you fear? Where is your faith? Um, he said to one, you have great faith. And to an to in another place, he was amazed at their little faith, th their little amount of faith, that is. Faith is this term. It's this word that Jesus and this concept that Jesus references all throughout his ministry as something that is absolutely critical and central to the way that the kingdom of God operates. And what I want to say is there is a kind of faith that attracts the realm of heaven to our situation. And it's time to start building that kind of faith. Let's turn to Mark chapter 5 and verses 21 through to 43. This is a story of two separate healings that Jesus did. So it begins in verse 21. So when Jesus again had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came up and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with them. So Jairus's daughter, sorry, Jairus comes up to Jesus, says, my daughter is dying. Can you come and heal her? Jesus accepts the assignment. He, Jesus, we know from John chapter five, he only does what he sees the father doing. And he is obviously seeing the father do something here. So he accepts this assignment. He is on his way to go and heal Jairus' daughter. And this is where we pick up in the middle of verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressured around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. 
Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, this is his disciples answering. You see the people crowding against you and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So this is a woman who, excuse the, the very direct statement here, but this woman had had her period for 12 years straight. And she had suffered at the hands of many, many doctors. She had only got worse. And yet, she had the kind of faith that actually interrupted Jesus. Jesus wasn't going to heal this woman. He wasn't going to heal this woman with the issue of blood. He was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And as he's pressing through the crowd... This woman had mustered up and had cultivated such a faith. She'd seen what Jesus had done. And she knew that if she could just touch his garment, that, that then she would be healed. In other words, she had cultivated a level of faith that put a demand on the presence of God and that drew heaven's power into her situation. This wasn't on Jesus' agenda at the time. He was heading somewhere else. He didn't even know who had touched him. I want to suggest this first part of this story here. This is our individual responsibility is to cultivate in us that kind of faith that that woman had cultivated. She had obviously seen what Jesus had done. She had seen others be healed. She'd heard about some of the other miracles and she knew that he could do this for her too. And she cultivated a level of faith that put a demand on Jesus and his presence and his power and pulled it into her situation even when it wasn't on Jesus' agenda. It wasn't a case of that everyone who banged up against Jesus got healed, only this woman. Every, you know, the disciples are saying, hey, everyone's touching up against you and you're asking who touched me? Like, they hadn't seen this before, quite obviously. Many of them just brushed past him, but only one of them touched him with faith. And it was that faith that actually took Jesus by surprise where he goes, who was that? Where did that come from? Other versions say he knew that power or virtue, depending on the version you listen to, he knew that power had gone out of him. He knew that something had happened. That is the kind of faith that actually took Jesus by surprise. Even though it wasn't on his agenda, that kind of faith pulled the realm of heaven into her world, into her situation and brought about a change. That is the kind of faith that we are meant to cultivate. See, we often think it was the faith of Jesus that healed people. And that's not untrue. But that's not what Jesus usually pointed to. So many times, if you read the healing stories in the Gospels, Jesus actually said to the person, go, your faith has made you well. Not go, my faith has made you well. Not my divinity, not the fact that I'm the son of God has made you well. It was your faith has made you well. According to your faith, be it unto you. There is a call on us to start to build that kind of faith again, to get away from the being blown around by the situation around us and start to come back to our center and to build that kind of faith again. All right, let's pull in. Let's go into the rest of the story. 
35. While Jesus was still speaking. Now, remember, he is on his way to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' daughter, who we know was 12 years old. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Other versions say, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. This is an important thing that Jesus did just then. I'll come back to that in a moment. He did, not anyone let, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, sorry, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crowding and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, I'm going to tell you what that word, what that literally means in the Greek in just a moment. Um, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were, cons they were completely astonished. I reckon that's a pretty darn great understatement. So let's have a little bit of a look at this story. So we saw with, this, with the woman first up in the first part of the story, she had a faith that put a demand on the presence of God that pulled the realm of heaven into her world. Even though it wasn't on Jesus' agenda, it was on hers and that faith pulled something of heaven into her realm. This 12-year-old girl did not have any faith in this particular point in time. It's a little bit difficult to have faith when one is deceased. You can write that down as a quote if you like. Thank you, Wendy. I'm trying to preach it. Um, just stopping to have a quick look at the chat there. It is really hard to have faith when you are deceased. The girl didn't have faith. It was not the girl's faith that brought about this resurrection. But let's have a look at the sequence of events that happened here. So verse 35 while, every, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Here's what I want to suggest Jesus was doing there. In the first instance, it was the faith of the woman. In this instance, in this second miracle, it is the faith in the corporate atmosphere surrounding this girl that is really important for her healing, well, for her ultimately her resurrection. So Jesus overhears them saying, don't bother the teacher anymore, she's dead. Jesus responds, don't be afraid, just believe. What I want to suggest he was doing right there was saying to Jairus, do not partner with what you have just heard. Do not partner with what you have just heard. You know, don't be afraid. Do not partner with fear. Do not partner with the word that you have just heard. Just believe. Don't partner with what you've just heard. Believe me. Partner with me. Come into the realm of faith and she will be healed. So Jesus took authority over the atmosphere in the way that he spoke to Jairus. To, to, to Jairus. Sorry, I keep going to go Jairus' daughter. In the way that he spoke to Jairus, Jesus took authority over the atmosphere and said to him, don't align with what you just heard. Believe in me. Believe what I'm doing. Believe what I'm saying. Just believe and she'll be healed. Then, 
So that's where he gets Jairus in alignment. Then he goes into the room where the girl is and there is a whole lot of commotion. People are crying and wailing loudly. Now this is not an... This is an understandable scenario. When a 12-year-old girl has just died, it is understandable that people are in the height of grief and trauma right in that moment. But then when Jesus said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They all laughed at him. So Jesus knew in that group, as he walked into that room, there was not faith for healing present in that group. So what did he do? He kicked them out. Now, the NIV says it very nice and politely. After he put them all out. The word used there in the Greek is the same word used for driving out a demon. In other words, it was a forceful exercise of authority in the way that he put them out. It's like he cast them out of the room. He told them to get the hell out of here. You are no help to me right now whatsoever. So remember, first up, he got Jairus in line. And he said, don't partner with what you just heard. Have faith. Partner with heaven. Then he comes into the room he starts to declare what the kingdom is going to do. And when Jesus speaks, his words create worlds. But there was not a fertile landing place in the hearts of the people in that room for what he bought. And so he drove them out. He, he basically kicked him out. Like you would drive out a demon, he kicked him out of the room. Again, Jesus took authority over the atmosphere in that room. And then it says he took in... The girl's father and mother, remember, he'd already aligned the father, the spiritual authority figure in that situation. And the three disciples that were with him were already aligned with Jesus and already seen him do miracles. So I think, I don't think it's too long a bow to draw to say that they were in a place of faith too. Because like I said, it's hard for the girl to have faith in that point in time. So he only allowed people in the immediate vicinity within earshot in any kind of place of influence over him and over the atmosphere. He only allowed people who were in a spirit of faith in that atmosphere at that moment in time. This is such an important point. Because we think, well, he just did it because he was the son of God. No, there were some very deliberate kingdom steps that he did here that caused the invasion of heaven into this situation and brought about resurrection power and life. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha tomb, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Um, that word Talitha, doesn't, little girl, it's actually a, um, a statement of incredible tenderness. And so you see in this moment, this compassionate um, side of Jesus, um, it would be like saying, sweetie or sweetheart, something like that. I tell you to get up. So it was this very compassionate, heart engaged, calling out, um, from a loving, compassionate heart to the heart of this little girl and calling her out of death and into life. And then the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was about 12 years old. And of course, they were completely astonished. So the first part of the story, we have the, indiv we have the individual responsibility. We have a woman who had cultivated such a faith in herself that it pulled heaven into her situation. In the second instance, it wasn't the faith of the girl, she was dead. And sometimes we go to pray for and minister to people who have no faith whatsoever. And it is not helpful or responsible to blame them for not having faith. We need to cultivate it. And that's what Jesus did. He only brought people into, into the room who he had aligned in faith with what he was going to do. And then 
the miracle happened and the breakthrough came. This is what I want to suggest to us. This is the kind of faith, whether it's the individual faith of the woman with the issue of blood or the corporate faith that Jesus ensured, it's time for us to build that kind of faith again and position ourselves for kingdom increase. The world out there is traumatized, is anxious, is depressed, is angry, is fearful. What better scenario to bring the healing power of Jesus as we come out the other side of this? What better place for the ministry of Isaiah 61 to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted? What better time is there for that? And I'm hearing the heart of the Father calling us to say, it's time to start cultivating that faith for increase and advancement again. No more survival. No more just getting by. It's time to position for advancement. It's time to reorient ourselves back toward our kingdom assignment. It's time to build that kind of faith. So how do we do that? One more scripture before we come into land. Let's go to the book of Jude. And we are going to go to, well, I was going to say Jude chapter one. There is only one chapter in the book of Jude. And that's the one that we are going to take a very, very quick look at. How do we reorient ourselves toward faith? How do we get ourselves in that position? The book of Jude. It's the second last book of the Bible in case you're uh, going on a hunt for it. Now, I'm not going to read every single verse of the whole thing, but let me pick up a couple of key pieces. This book of Jude is written to the church to not just encourage, but actually entreaty them. Um, to, to kind of charge and commission them to stand firm in the midst of a world that is getting sucked into all kinds of stuff. So he describes what's happening in the world. So verse 4, um, for certain individuals um, whose condemnation was written about long ago secretly slipped in among you. He says, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. I reckon there's a fair bit of that going on in our, in our world around us at the moment. Okay, verse 8. And if you're wondering why I'm kind of picking up this funny, the light is sitting on my Bible in a way that I just cannot see the words. Um, let there be light. Verse 8. In the very same way, um, the strength of their dreams, again, talking about these people who he's saying, take a stand against. Um, Through the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and they heap abuse on celestial beings. So ungodly, they're pillaging their own bodies. They're rejecting authority. I mean, that sounds awfully familiar as to what's happening out there in the world right now. Uh, verse 10, yet these people slander what they don't understand. I reckon there's a fair bit of that going on. Um, and the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals, will, they will destroy them. In other words, they're just following their most base desires, their animal instincts. Verse 12, these people 
are blemishes at your love feast, engaging with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along uh, by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up, shame, wandering stars, for whom the blackest of darkness has been reserved forever. Uh, verses 18 and 19. Um, they said to you, in the last days, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who dwell among you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. There was someone missed a little bit earlier. Um, these people are grumblers and fault finders. Verse 16. Um, they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter their others for their own advantage. So there is a whole series of things that Jude is describing here about what is going on in the culture around them. They are not some dissimilar things to stuff that is going on in the culture around us. And let me encourage you, just go and read Jude chapter 1 in a couple of different translations. And some of the ways that it describes what's going on are profoundly similar to what's happening in our day. And Siri is now trying to respond to everything that I'm saying. And then he says, then Jude says, but you, and this is what I love. Verse 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring about eternal life. He said, but you. While they're out there doing their whole divisive, crazy thing, they're, they're, they're letting morality go, go completely and just following their most basic animal instinct. Do whatever you feel. Plenty of that around. Jude's entreaty to the church, he says, but you. He says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Now, if you've got the NIV, it will say and. Most versions don't have the and in there. It was added in. Building yourselves, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. How do you build yourself up in the most holy faith? You pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the language that the Spirit gives you. Sometimes that will be in tongues. Sometimes He will give you prayers and declarations in English, um, yeah, in your natural language. But pray in the Spirit is the way that you will build up your faith. Paul said to the Corinthian church, he who prays in an unknown tongue edifies or builds themselves up. So there's a consistency here. Praying in the spirit builds up your faith. In other words, I'm going to build and cultivate an internal reality inside me that is filled with the Holy Spirit that most naturally leads to faith. Because we see differently when we've built ourselves up in the spirit. And then he says, keep yourself in God's love. So pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love. Now that is an experiential motif. This is not a cognitive motif. This is not read every verse about the love of God. Now that's not a bad thing to do just for the record as a place to start. But this is an experiential practice. It's not a cognitive one. And as we keep ourselves in the love of God, it keeps us away from fear, offense, judgment, division. All those things that are absolutely rife right now, this is an absolutely critical entreaty to keep ourselves in the love of God because as we do that, fear has no place. So 
How do we build ourselves up? I want to come back to that. He says two commands, build yourself up, keep yourself in God's love. And um, when we've been getting together with our, our hub facilitators, we have been looking at John chapter 15, which just says, remain in me, remain in my love, remain in me, remain in my love. Um, Jesus talking to his disciples. It's that same motif. We stand against the momentum of the culture that is moving further and further away from Jesus. Build ourselves up in faith keep ourselves in his love and that positions us for advancement to touch the world with the love of God. Now, to build yourself up in faith, I want to give you a couple of questions to ask yourself that will help you to do this. The simple thing is what we want is to look for what God is doing. Rather than look at what the world is doing. You see, I believe that woman with the issue of blood, one of the reasons why she had such faith is because she had heard and had fed herself on what Jesus had been doing. And as such, by the time she met him, she's like, it's my time now. Because she'd fed herself on what Jesus has been doing. So what we want to do is ask God for eyes to see what he is doing. Not what's Gladys doing, not what's ScoMo doing, although we need to be praying for them and blessing them because scripture tells us to do that. But ultimately we need to say, God, what are you doing? So here's some questions. God, what are you doing in me? God, show me, what are you doing in my own heart right now? In what ways are you working in my heart? What are you doing in me? God, what are you doing in my family? God, in what ways is your spirit at work in my family? God, what are you doing in those around me? What are you doing in my friends, my neighbors? Because I guarantee you he is at work. Jesus said, my father is always at work. So God, what are you doing in those around me? And God, what are you doing in my calling, my destiny and my kingdom assignment? So God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing in those around me? What are you doing in my calling, my destiny, my kingdom assignment? Quick word on that. If you are not increasingly seeking to be aligned and moving deeper into heaven's assignment over your life, you are missing out on a critical aspect of kingdom life. And let me just be a little bit bold for a moment. Without being attached to our kingdom assignment, we're in danger of, of reinforcing what I call churchianity. And churchianity has nothing to do with Christ. We're meant to be Christianity, Christianity, not churchianity. That means we all have a kingdom assignment in some kind of way. If I'm not seeking to be increasingly aligned to my assignment, I'm out of touch with the kingdom life. So God, what are you doing in me? God, what are you doing in my family? What are you doing in those around me? What are you doing in my calling, my destiny and my kingdom assignment? Bring all of that together and then say, God, how would you have me cooperate with that? How would you have me cooperate with what you were doing in all those things? This is a great time to keep a journal. This is a great time to be writing down what you're hearing from God so that you can be praying into those things and then looking for opportunities and saying, okay, God, where would you have me step out and act on one of those things? How would you have me cooperate? with what you're doing in my neighbor. Maybe there's a prophetic gift of some sort, some kind of physical thing that you can go buy for them and give to them with some kind of message that God's wanting to show them. Be creative because God is intensely creative. 
Okay, it's time to bring this into land. It is time to come out of survival. I'm hearing the season is shifting. I'm hearing the Father say, it's time to start building faith again. It's time to reorient towards advancement, kingdom advancement. It's time to push further into our assignment to show the world what love really is, to heal the broken and hurting hearts of this world. It's time to reorient ourselves towards that and to cultivate in us individually, like the woman with the issue of blood, and to cultivate corporately, just the way we saw Jesus do with his disciples, the Jairus and the girl's mum, of protecting that atmosphere of faith corporately. It's time for us to get intentional about that again to come out of survival and to get intentional about building that kind of faith because it's that kind of faith that pulls heaven into our reality and changes things down here. And as things change down here, that is bringing heaven to earth and advancing his kingdom, the very thing we are called to do. I'm going to pray for us along those lines right now. Father, we want to break all agreement with simply just surviving. We want to declare that you have created us for so much more than survival. God, I want to speak 1 John 4 verse 4 over every one of our hearts, everyone within the sound of my voice. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world around us. Greater is the Jesus in you than any of the stuff that's going on in the world, in the culture around us. And Father, um, you tell us that Christ in us is the hope of glory. It's the confident expectation of your kingdom moving and advancing and of your glory being seen. So Father, we position ourselves according to your word. We position ourselves in that place of cultivating faith. Not cultivating just getting by, not just cultivating survival, but cultivating faith. That we would build that internal atmosphere. That we were, that praying in the Holy Spirit, we would build up such an atmosphere of faith and encouragement that that would overflow into the world around us and bring about shifts and bring about change. That would bring about healing, especially from anxiety and the trauma of the past two years. God, you have positioned and equipped us well for that. Now, we ask, just as people who came to you said, would you increase our faith? We want to join with that and say, Jesus, would you increase our faith? Increase our capacity to believe you. Increase our capacity to feed ourselves on what you are doing and on what you are saying, rather than on what is going on in the world around us. We declare, Jesus, you are our greater reality, that your kingdom is a greater reality than the reality of this world. We declare greater is he who is in us. Greater is the Jesus who is in us than anything that is in the culture, in the world around us. And God, give us eyes focused like flint on what you are doing. Just like Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Give us those same eyes to see what you are doing in us, in our family, in those around us, and in our calling, our destiny, and our assignment. God, this week, would you be speaking to us? We invite your voice into our world in those areas. 
so that we would have eyes to see what you are doing and we can align ourselves to what you are doing and you are saying. Jesus, we bless you because you are good, you are loving, you are compassionate. You care about the trauma that is going on in the world right now and your heart is for healing. Your heart is for resurrection. Your heart is for life. And you've chosen us to be the bringers of it. And we say yes to that call in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.